Welcome to the Prince of Peace Lutheran Church podcast. I am the pastor of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church, Joe McGarry. And this week, we explore a question that Jesus asks his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Who do we say that Jesus is, and how does that affect us in our daily life of faith? Also, I just want to let you know, I have some new recording equipment for the sermon podcast, and this week's audio quality isn't the greatest, but I'm working through some of those bugs, and next week's audio quality should be much better. Thank you for joining us. Have a great week. Be blessed. According to Mark, the eighth chapter. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up the crosses and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we hear about the birth and the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. In each gospel, we learn the stories of his miracles, of him preaching and teaching and forgiving and healing. And then in each gospel... There's this change. We learn about the life and the ministry, and then the gospel focuses mainly on the journey that Jesus and his disciples take to Jerusalem, where Jesus will be arrested and tried and convicted and killed. 
And today in the Gospel, chapter 8 of Mark, is where we make that transition. See, Jesus and his disciples have been all over Galilee and on the outskirts of Rome. And they get into this town, Caesarea Philippi, and the disciples ask Jesus two very important questions. Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? He wants to know what people are saying about his teaching, about his healing, about him pointing to God. And they say, yes, Jesus. Well, people say sometimes that, that you might be John the Baptist. And then you know Elijah? Well, Elijah, he, he never really died, Jesus. He just ascended into heaven. So people think that you, you are Elijah who came down from heaven and who is ministering in the world today. But who do we say you are, Jesus? We say you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Then Peter gets a little upset because Jesus says, well, you know what that means, right? It means I'm going to die. I'm going to die for the sake of the world. And Peter says, no, Jesus, you are not going to die. We are going to make sure that there's 12 of us. We're going to protect you. He's, he's excited to, to protect his master and his friend. Jesus is the leader of the disciples, the leader of the movement that has been started. He is the anointed one, the Son of God. Disciples know that he is more than just a prophet. That yes, he, he points to God. And, and yes, he's going to teach people and to heal people. He, he's going to start a revolution. That's what they think. But they also think he's going to get an army together. He's going to get an army together. He's going to take over the Roman Empire and create this utopian society in the world. That this is going to be the kingdom of God. They don't expect what is going to happen. They think that, yes, they know about David, so they think that he is going to act like David and build this huge military to overtake the world. But Jesus explains what it means to be the Messiah. It doesn't mean authority and strength and power. It involves God coming to them in their weakness. So who is Jesus to you? When you hear the name Jesus, when you experience the love of God in your life, what does that look like for you? To fully think through this answer and, and to, to have something that is really meaningful and true to us, I think it's important to discern together what it means to live a life of faith. Throughout the Bible, we read about sacrifice. God's sacrifice for us, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, even other important biblical figures and the sacrifices they made to live out their life of faith. And what Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples in the Gospel lesson today, if anybody wants to be my follower, Jesus says, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For anyone who wants to save their life will lose it, and anyone who loses their life 
for my sake, the sake of the gospel, will be saved. When was the last time that you made a sacrifice for your faith? Now, this question might be difficult to answer for some of us, and that's okay. Because when we think about church, when we experience church, when we come to church, we come with the mindset of, of getting something, right? We want, when we come to church, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to sing incredible music. We want to hear the gospel proclaimed, and, and we want to leave church feeling good about our faith and about our life. We come to church to practice our faith, to be inspired. We come to church to practice our faith, to leave with a sense of hope and security. And we come to church to practice our faith, to get this idea of love and forgiveness and fellowship and grace. We don't come to church and practice our faith so that we can make sacrifices in our life. Because it, it really feels that the rest of our week, the rest of our life, we are constantly making sacrifices. Making sacrifices for our family. Making sacrifices for our friends or loved ones. Yes, and maybe even making some sacrifices for the church by giving up our time or our finances. We feel like we sacrifice all the time and we want to come and be filled. And Jesus tells us clearly in today's gospel that we need to have a sense of sacrifice for our faith. And I think that Jesus tells us this because the reality is we are going to lose ourselves, right? When we think about our life and the formation of our life from the time we were a kid to, to the time we go to college and... and graduate college and start a family, well, we, our identity changes. Who we are changes. Over time, we, we, we transition from a high school student to a college student, start living on our own perhaps, and then after college we get our first grown-up job and we start a family and our identity changes then from a, from a single person to a married person to a family person. And then at, at the end of, not the end, but later on in life, we retire and, and we become a grandparent. And, and what does all that mean? We, we constantly lose our identity, and it changes and it shifts. Jesus knows this, so he says to us, your identity should be first settled in your faith. When you lose your life, it should be focused on God. So is our faith, is our life, is our identity focused on God or something else? And as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, I was part of this Reach the Beach e event at Camp Calumet, 72 runners. And for me as a chaplain, you know, I went there and I knew that for a couple of days it was going to be a, a wonderfully intense time. Over the course of three days, I probably got maybe six hours of sleep. I was up, we were driving, we were praying, and we were supporting people, and it was wonderful. But... I didn't really have to do much leading up to the event, and after the event, I really didn't have to do much else. But these 72 runners, they spent a better part of six to eight months, maybe even longer, training every single day for this event. 
They, they fought through injuries and soreness and they ran hundreds of miles each and every week or every month just to prepare. They lost themselves in this event. Their life was transformed because of this event. You know, over a 36-hour period, they ran close to 20 to 25 miles. For me, that's a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure I could do that. You know, and I was there to support them, to encourage them, to inspire them, to pray with them. But to for me to take a few days out of my week or even out of my year to, to, to focus on that is not the same as training consistently for that. There are days, I'm sure, as they train, they thought, well, maybe it's too hot to run, or maybe it's too cold if they ran in the winter. It would be nice to stay where I am, but no. They put on their shoes, and they got up, and they went out, and they did it. And they didn't do it to lift themselves up to say, hey, look what I did. They did it for somebody else to help send kids to camp. And throughout the weekend, I, I talked with a lot of people, both people who are part of our team and not. And out of the 72 runners, 10 of them, Jeff and John and Sarah and Dave and Stephanie and Jen and Joe and Anna and Dustin and Christian, they are all pastors. They all are pastors throughout the upstate New York Synod and the New England Synod. They all had impactful experiences either at Camp Calumet or a place like Camp Calumet that inspired them in their faith, that encouraged them, that showed them that it, it is a wonderful thing to love God. And they experienced so much doing that that they, like myself, have dedicated their lives to spread the good news of God's love throughout the world. That's why they lost themselves. That's why they give of themselves, to prepare themselves, to ensure that they can participate fully and finish this race. Each runner is encouraged to raise $1,000, and each of them want to go back to those people who donated money and say, you donated money so I can run 25 miles, and I prepared myself, and I did it, and I accomplished that. And to be proud of that. Whenever we give our, of ourselves, we do it because it is the right thing to do. We do it because other people need us to do that, to encourage them. And in the end, I can tell you, the, the runners, the people who participate in the event, they would say that it is worth it. You know, we are taught from an early age that the only way for us to find security in life is through possessions and power. The more that we have, the happier we will be. But the mindset of getting more and more, of continuing to climb the ladder of success, means that we start to have a winner-take-all mindset. Competition, getting as many goods as we can. We start to believe then that we never have enough and that we have to fight in order to win.
But what the gospel tells us, what Jesus tells us is that when we give of ourselves, when we put others first, when we take up their burdens on ourselves, that is when we start to win. And that is not a, a message that kings typically, typically give. He says that in order for you to, in order to enter, you need to be the last, not the first. And later on in his life, as he gets closer and closer to the cross, he lifts up those who are, are outcasts, those who are depressed, those who are burdened. He lifts up children, people who are not typically thought of as members of high-class society. And he says, these are the people who are loved and cherished by God. And with this message, it's a, it's a wonder why we have trouble attracting people to church, right? If we are brought up taught saying that we need to be the best and we go to church and we hear, well, we don't need to be the best, we need to lift up those who are the least, that's not typically something that is attractive. And I've heard that. I've heard that from people. When I talk to people about the church, about God, a lot of people say, I don't need to be a part of the church. I want to enjoy my life. And I said, what do you mean you want to enjoy your life? Why, why is church preventing you from enjoying your life? They say, well, if I go to church, that means I need to follow this strict moral code that comes with following Jesus. I need to give of myself, and, and I really don't want to do that. One person said to me one time, he said, I want to enjoy my freedom. And I don't know if my mouth dropped, but it felt like, what do you mean you want to enjoy your freedom? Because in my relationship with God, or my relationship with Jesus, I have freedom. I have the freedom to know that no matter what I do, God is going to love me. No matter what sins I have done in my past, God is going to care for me. God has promised me this. God has assured me this. So I don't have to worry about trying to be the best. I don't have to worry about trying to have it all. I don't have to worry about climbing that corporate ladder higher and higher until I reach the top. Because I have everything I need through my relationship with Christ. Instead of trying to earn my accomplishments, instead of trying to earn God's love, instead of trying to accumulate as many goods as possible, I have all that I need. So the risk comes not when we lose ourselves in our faith. It's not when we lose ourselves in God. It's not when we lose ourselves in our relationship with the church. It's when we lose ourselves in the cares and the convictions of this world. It's when we try to do everything we can to earn more and more money and success and fame. We can lose ourselves. We can try to climb that corporate ladder until we reach the top. But at the risk of tearing other people down, is it really worth it? So what we can do as a church, as a congregation, as Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Kensington, Connecticut, is to be a place that people can come and feel like they are cared about, 
that they are included, that they can truly be themselves for who God has created them to be, to be loved and accepted. Because there are so many places in this world where that doesn't happen anymore. Where we try to pretend to be the best, best version of ourselves, but when God comes to us, we can truly be the best version of ourselves. Flaws and all. Now imagine someone coming into our church and feeling that way. That is a life-changing experience. Because we all need a place where that can be true. Because each and every day we hear the messages of this world that we are not good enough, that we are not strong enough, that we are not the best looking, we're not the most talented. We hear that over and over again. And it comes from a place of, of hurt and pain. But the messages that I want people to hear, the messages that I have heard in my life from my friends and family, from my church, is that I am good enough because God has created me because God loves me for who I am. This is the message that I hope you hear today. That God loves you for who you are and you are invited to be in a relationship with, with God. And as we come to a place where we know that, where we hear that, when we feel that, not only you know, know it in our head, but feel it in our heart and even in our gut, that is when we can say, this is who Jesus is for us. This is who Jesus is for the world. And that we can do everything we can to enable that feeling of knowledge, love, grace, and forgiveness for all that we meet. Amen.